They are utility providers need to ensure, for example, that one, they're operating as efficiently as possible. And this requirement's twofold for their shareholders as the market changes and efficient operation will be able to adapt quickly. But it's also coupled with regulatory requirements for cost reduction and efficiencies. Hello, and welcome to our podcast series on the transformation of energy and utilities companies to better serve their customers in the digital age. My name is Vito Labate, and I'm joined today by Anastasia Klingberg. We're here today to talk about the latest World Energy Markets Observatory report and some of the key findings specific to Australia. Anna, welcome. Thank you. So, Anna, one of the key findings from the report was how Australia's greenhouse gas emissions have risen in the past three years. Do you expect this trend to continue? And if so, how will it affect Australia's ability to meet its 2020 and 2030 targets? Yes, we do expect this trend to continue, including an increase in emissions from 2020 to 2030 by 3.5%. But this increase has been factored into the Australian's target calculations for 2020 and 2030. The trend reflects the rapid expansion in the LNG sector as well as the expected population expansion reflected in the increase in agriculture and transport emissions in 2030. So you also asked me, will this affect Australia's ability to reach its targets? We actually expect to meet the 2020 targets and exceed it by 3.6%, which is pretty good. It's the 2030 target that's in question, which is actually 26 to 28% below the 2005 emissions. Uh, And recently, a new emissions gap report published by the UN, which is actually really recent this week, suggested G20 countries, including Australia, will need to implement additional apologies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions um, to actually achieve their commitments. The large increase in investment in 2017 in Australia is a positive sign but it's not enough to reach our targets at this point. It will actually be interesting to review the government's response to this report over the next number of weeks. Let me ask you a little bit about 2017 as we look back. So 2017 was uh, marked as a year of positive developments in the renewable energy arena. What would you think is the most significant contributor to that achievement? And might you be able to share some examples of key projects? Although overall the renewable um, electricity generation decreased slightly in 2017 compared with 2016, we actually do look at it as a positive year. Uh, The most significant achievement in the renewable energy front is actually the 150% increase in renewables investment. Um, Large-scale wind solar projects uh, pushed investment in renewables to a record $11.7 billion in 2017. In terms of key projects, the one that we like to talk about is the installation in December 17 of the world's biggest lithium-ion battery storage facility in South Australia, which was installed by Tesla and owned by Neon and is capable of powering more than 30,000 homes. Um, Lithium-ion battery is situated alongside the Hornsdale Wind Farm and has been constructed in partnership with South Australian government, Neon, and a French company that owns the wind farm. Another area of um, new projects And again, we like to say that we have largest projects in the world, was the approval of the largest solar power plant in Wendowan in Queensland. And when built, the 1,000 megawatt solar farm will be among the largest solar plants in the world, able to provide electricity to up to 250,000 households. And that's expected to start construction in 2019. We also have South Australia has approved the construction of the world's largest solar thermal plant, which is $650 million and 150 megawatt facility 
coupled with all of these um, these projects, we've also got some um, emerging policies. New South Wales has uh, created an emergency energy program, which is designed to help replace most of its state's ageing coal plants with wind, solar and storage. Uh, the funding will be provided to commercialise these renewable projects, as well as support pre-investment studies to help to get new projects off the ground. It's expected within 15 years this scheme aims to replace 70% of the coal capacity by large-scale solar, large-scale wind storage and rooftop solar, which is quite exciting for New South Wales. And also there's been an introduction of a 200 megawatt virtual power plant scheme, which is going to be launched in 2019 in New South Wales, which will financially reward customers for feeding their excess energy into the grid at times of peak demand, such as during summer heatwaves. They'll actually connect 40,000 households to this program and they should be able to earn up to $1,000 a year. These examples are just a few of the projects that are under construction. Currently, in 2018, there were projects that are going to provide 6,239 megawatts of electricity onto the grid, which is quite exciting for Australia and was part of the major boom in investment in 2017. A lot of very interesting developments happening in Australia. I mean, very interesting stuff. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, the data seems to show that also in 2017, we saw uh, robust growth in the rooftop solar industry in Australia. What impact do you expect that to have going forward, both on utility providers and consumers? I'll talk about utility providers first. It's actually interesting. A few years ago, there was talk about the death spiral for network providers, where a centralised network would no longer be required as battery and solar combinations encourage microgrids and consumers may even go off-grid. This type of thinking has been changing in the last few years. It is believed the existing network will be required to provide grid reliability. So there is work for most of our utilities. Network companies are now investigating the best way to integrate into the new world of distributed energy resources and microgrids, as well as what these costing models may look like for providing a network service. Examples of projects that are being um, set up at the moment include pilot projects focused on increasing network hosting capacity, as well as desktop studies and feasibility studies to determine how to successfully integrate high penetrations of distributed energy resources into the existing networks. So at the moment, there's a lot of pilots. Um, People are starting to think about how they're going to work. There's not necessarily an answer yet. In terms of consumers, the increase in the number of rooftop solar installations in Australia is both positive and negative effect on consumers. Positive. Consumers with rooftop solar have become more empowered to manage their electricity with a greater understanding of their electricity usage. Uh, and also the earlier consumers adopted rooftop solar, the higher the feed-in tariffs, which helped negate the 50% in increase in customer prices. So people who are adopted it earlier have definitely reaped rewards. Unfortunately, negatively, the consumers who haven't quite made it onto solar yet have been subsidised their counterparts um, with feed-in tariffs as the majority of tariffs have been reimbursed by higher network and wholesale charges. Very good. Well, you know, you alluded to it earlier, um, and I'll ask you about it. The report indicates that domestic battery storage system investments are are expecting to increase as the prices become uh, more affordable, I guess, for the average homeowner. Do you see any barriers to consumers as they try to adopt this new technology? As the report states, uh, battery installations went from 6,750 in 2016 up to 20,789 in 2016. 
17, and they're expecting at least 33,000 by the end of 2018. In saying this, battery storage is still not economically viable for the average homeowner and requires government subsidies and creative business models with private enterprise to push this uptake. As the cost of infrastructure reduces and offerings in this space become mature, the uptake will continue to increase. The main barrier for consumers adopting this technology is what I actually call the unknown in capital letters. What is the best investment option? Do you become a part of a virtual power pilot? Do you purchase the equipment or lease? What are the best maintenance options? As the industry evolves and prices come down, there'll be more data and information for consumers and more innovative business models from investors for consumers to choose. And by default, the uptake will increase. So speaking of the unknown a little bit, I mean, it seems like from what you're saying um, as well, the approach to policy and maybe regulatory design and and really the promotion of competition in the electricity sector, it historically has not always been in favor of consumer, at least in the recent past. Do you see this changing at all? And if you do, what's, what's driving the change, would you say? So if you think about it, government energy policy focus on security, reliability, affordability and sustainability. And actually improvements in one side may negate and does negate improvements in another area. So for example, an increased focus on security of supply could be seen as gold plating the network and is reflected in increased network costs. An aggressive approach to sustainability without looking at reliability of supply can result in major blackouts and very high wholesale prices. And and this was actually experienced in South Australia in 2016 with their very aggressive stance on the adoption of renewable technologies without adequate infrastructure or base load in place. What is actually driving the focus on consumer prices? Two things. Well, one thing, information is now widely available on usage and prices. We're actually getting to see it all the time in the news. We've had reports which has detailed Um, all the prices and why these prices have increased. The introduction of smart meters and detailed usage patterns are empowering consumers to manage their electricity usage and have greater understanding of their electricity costs. Victoria rolled out smart meters to all their consumers. New South Wales and Queensland and the rest of the eastern board states are in the process of rolling out smart meters. And as I said before, a number of reports have been commissioned on energy prices in Australia and the most recent published, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission in 2018. Uh, The report highlighted that overall customer prices, as I've said before, rose by 56% over the last 10 years. They actually identified the causes as um, an increase in 540 Seven percent in network costs, which was due to gold plating of the network. Um, wholesale costs increased by 38%, and that's actually due to our um, closure of coal-fired generators, um, which resulted in shortage of supply and excess demand in the market. Um, environmental, which increased by 375%, and this is to do with the solar feed-in tariffs, which I've spoke to you about before. And then also, of course, we've got the competition in, and the retail costs and margins. Costs, retail costs increased by 47%, and margins by 140%. Excessively high prices charged for standing offers, along with confusing price structures offered by retailers, have left limited options for consumers to switch. Consumers didn't actually understand what was going on and it was very hard to to actually compare between offers. So that's the reason why we have such high prices. The actual focus right now on, on prices, and it's actually a little bit 
it's not a nice thing to say, but we come to an end of a federal political cycle and focus becomes more on how to win the next election and not necessarily the best policies for Australia. Energy prices are one of the topics that could win an election. History has shown that energy policy has been known to assist in changing prime ministers. One's just happened very recently. Uh, polls indicated that although 56% of Australians believe in climate change, over half Australians are more interested in reduction of energy prices over achieving our emissions targets. So basically, the pressure from households and business is inspiring governments to introduce quick fixes during this election cycle. Uh, the other thing to note when we do try and introduce policy is it's not easy to introduce into Australia. Uh, for example, policy introduced by a previous Prime Minister called the National Energy Guarantee, which aims to find a middle ground between sustainability and affordability, took 10 months of negotiation between federal government, political parties and state governments to finally be passed. Unfortunately, within a week or two of approval, it was removed from the agenda with an unexpected change in Prime Minister. So basically, 2009 will be an interesting year with an election and a more than likely change in government. I expect energy and climate change policy to change. The jury is out on how Australia will manage both climate change policy and energy policy to ensure the successful outcome in all four areas of security, reliability, affordability and sustainability. Inanna, it seems like an incredible amount of disruption in the industry in Australia. And I, and I guess it, it leads me to the last question here. Um, you know, what does this mean for new business model? You know, and, and do you, are there any recommendations that you might have from a Capgemini perspective for Australian utilities providers? The energy industry disruption being experienced by Australia has put more focus on utility providers. And the utility providers need to ensure, for example, that one, they're operating as efficiently as possible. And this requirement's twofold for their shareholders as the market changes and efficient operation will be able to adapt quickly. But it's also coupled with regulatory requirements for cost reduction and efficiencies. Um, number two, they're able to innovate as the energy industry changes and new market entrants appear. Uh, number three, they're able to adapt and adopt new technologies as required under regulatory requirements. For example, smart meters under power of choice, which is a regulatory requirement for all states. And lastly, as demand for information increases, they're also able to provide this information in an easily consumable format. So basically, new digital technologies will continue to be developed to assist utilities with these requirements. Utilities companies need to become more agile in adoption of the technology. They need to accelerate their transformations to step up their focus on new business models as competition from different domains, including new entrants, is increasing. Australia at the moment is a melting pot for pilots and trials for new business models, and the utility of today needs to be front and centre as part of these to ensure relevancy in the future. Anna, thank you so much for your both your time and your insights here. We really appreciate it. And to our listeners, you uh, have been listening to a podcast in our series of podcasts around the Capgemini World Energy Markets Observatory. To learn more and download the report, please visit capgemini.com slash Wemo. Thanks again.